What's going on, everybody, and welcome back for another episode of Triggered. This is Triggered episode number 211. We're here on Tuesday, August 25th. We're joined today by Stephen Cruiser, senior columnist and associate editor at PJ Media. He's also the author of The Morning Briefing at PJ Media, and you should definitely subscribe to that over there. Thanks a lot for joining us, Cruiser. How's it going? It's great. Glad to finally be able to put this together. Waiting for a while to do this. This is fun. I know. It has been a while, right? And it's appropriate that we do it here during the RNC. I know you wrote about this a bunch this morning in the morning briefing, night one of the RNCs in the books. And I got to say, I was pleasantly surprised with the production quality and, you know, the the speeches that they had. What what did you make of the whole thing? Well, our friend and colleague, the editor-at-large over at Red State, Kira Davis, said something after night one of the DNC that got me thinking um, when DNC finished with that horrible music video, yeah. <laughs> um, she said, she said, this is what's happened in the Trump era. Trump has turned into, tr- turned the Democrats into the 2008 Republicans. And <laughs> the whole approach to politicking in general and these conventions specifically seems to have flip-flopped. The Dems used to be the ones that were really good at this kind of thing. You know, how, how to fight in politics, how to, produ- how to, you know, do something with some production value in front of the camera. And now they're they're you know, they put on what I keep calling a drunken Zoom meeting last week. And it was really low <laughs> it was low energy. It was the production value was awful given that they have access to almost all of Hollywood. Um and it looked like some college kid in a basement and they said, well you're the intern, you do this, figure it out. And it wasn't they they paid a an award show guy to produce it. And yeah, it was the guy who did the Tonys. <laughs> yeah. And so this is, um, it's, I would, last night I was, the, the sight lines on everything were good. The visuals were good. The transitions were good. I was especially impressed that the speeches written for the civilians, as I call them, like the McCloskeys, were written so that they were, they minimized the opportunities for them to trip themselves up. Mm-hmm. Um, they were good speeches, but wit- written for the moment. I mean, other than that, other than that orgasm that Kimberly Guilfoyle had at the end of her speech, <laughs> I thought the night went well, but she was a little, she was way over the top, which is weird because she's the one who has the most, probably one of the one of the ones who has the most on-camera experience of everyone who spoke. Like, no, the most. Yeah. Yeah. So that was strange yeah, I, to me. I, I, I think it would it would have worked better in front of a live audience. Oh, and in front of a crowd, I, yeah, it would have yeah, been in great. In front of a crowd, I think it would have been awesome, but... It's yeah, but like, okay, so weird. when I'm doing stand up and I and I get like, you know, okay, I vividly remember this one night. I'm doing a one nighter in Ohio and there's a blizzard and I've got a gig in a hotel and they never canceled the gigs then. I mean, there could have been a severed head on the stage and they'd be, it, go ahead, tell a joke. <laughs> and, and so I mean, I'm in my whole thing always is in small gigs like that. I'm like, well, I'm here. I might as well get on stage. You know, I don't care how many people there are. So there were four people in the audience. I go, okay, this will be a new low. At least that'll be a record. And then there were, then the band from the hotel across the street came over. So now I have an audience of eight. Okay. So I'm very energetic and over the top on stage. If you put me in front of an audience of 250 people in front of an audience of eight, I dial it. It's like an acoustic set then. That's the thing. You got to dial it down a little bit and adjust for the room. So, and she has enough on camera savvy to know that. I think she was, I, I think the reason that her speech was like that because she was genuine about it. She really felt all of that. It's not just like, oh, I'm banging the president's son. You know, I got to get out there and do this and I'm working for him. It was, no, I think she genuinely felt that. Damn, she was over the top and she should have adjusted for the room a little bit because by two thirds of the way through, I was getting a little uncomfortable. Me too. Yeah. And, I, you know, I, I like her a lot. And I think, you know, that speech in front of a crowded airport hangar, like knocks it out of the park. But yeah. In an empty auditorium where there's no crowd response, it was just a little bit much. But, you know, there was there was a lot of great speeches last night. Vernon Jones, the Democrat state lawmaker from Georgia, I mean, he took a freaking machete to the Democrats saying you take the black vote for granted. You know, the Democrats are no longer the party of America. You had Herschel Walker, who gave a great personal appeal, um, talking about his long term relationship with Trump. Obviously, you had Trump Jr. out there, who I thought gave a great red meat speech. That was really um, good, yeah. And I and I think he's set up for some sort of political future post, you know, old man Trump as well. What do you think about that? I thought I haven't seen him speak live. I, obviously, I know well. I know how good he is on social media, and I know what a what a great pit bull he is for this 
campaign. And I, I was really impressed with his speech. I was kind of stunned when he first started how he works his hands while speaking exactly like his dad does. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like, like, whoa, dude, mini me is here. And, <laughs> um, and, I, and I thought the way, because of his online presence and the way he goes after the Democrats all the time, the digs that he got in in his speech weren't just like contrived and shoehorned in. That's the way he talks about them all the time. Mm -hmm. I think if you dropped some of those bombs in there like the way he referred to biden and things like that into another speech it would have been clunky for for another person to say it but with him it was quite organic and i thought the whole thing was i thought probably i know you know there were more emotionally moving speeches of the night but i thought that and tim scott's were the two most politically effective of the night yeah the, oh the name beijing biden is yeah, a good one good. and, and then, we should definitely use that yeah, the, yeah beijing biden was good and, and just like tom cotton's just like talking about the social mobility aspect like we went from my family went from cotton to congress you mean tim scott tim scott excuse me tom That's cotton it. is tonight or tomorrow night I, oh, the yeah. one thing i noticed about tim scott last <laughs> night that i've noticed for years but i didn't put couldn't put my finger on yeah okay you're, you're gonna close your eyes the next time he's talking he sounds like kevin the nbc page from 30 rock Oh my god! Oh. <laughs> he does have an interesting voice. I'll give you that. <laughs> Go watch an episode of Thirty Rock on Netflix. Replay the speech last night. I'm telling you. Back when Alec Baldwin was actually funny. Alec Baldwin is a complete douchebag, but probably still the best comedic actor we have working in America right now. Have you seen the new movie that he put out, the Drunk Parents one? Drunk Parents? No, I didn't know about it till last night. I saw it. Netflix was pimping it to me last night. Yeah, yeah we, I was, we watched it the other yeah. night because it was in like the popular now. It was, How yeah. is it? Yeah, it was pretty funny, yeah. I mean, it has usually, I'll, usually I'll watch anything with Selma Hayek in it. She's aging well. She's like actually 114 years old now. And, <laughs> and she looks really good. So, okay, I'll probably watch that tonight while I'm doing the briefing because I was tempted to about two or three times while we're on the subject of Netflix and funny. Yeah. Have you guys watched Norseman? No. No. Okay, so you're scrolling along through the Netflix originals, and this looks like it's just going to be a Vikings ripoff, <laughs> you <laughs> yeah. know? And yeah, he, yeah. And I didn't know it was a comedy. And then I saw somebody tweet, one of my friends who I respect tweeted about it last Friday, and I went, oh, that's a comedy? Because I just thought it was like a cheap cheapened Vikings it is freaking hilarious and one of the most original things I've seen in years. It's set in the Viking era, you know, and they're all raping and pillaging. And they talk about raping and pillaging all the time. <laughs> but the dialogue is all like this corporate feel-good speak from 2020. It's hilarious. It's like, well, I, I I feel that, you know, we don't have a clear direction here. Could we could we maybe get together and set some goals? That kind of thing, <laughs> the Vikings. And, the, you know, I mean, you know, I understand the focus is the raping and the pillaging. But, you know, I want a, a more of a sense of why. And I think the younger <laughs> the younger Raiders would like that, too. And it's it's just it goes on and, and, it, and it's really inappropriate. They get away with a lot of stuff there. So I was watching it the other day going, this is one of the best things I've ever seen. So put that at the top of your list. Yeah, we'll have to check that out. I mean, if you say it's funny, it's definitely yeah. funny because you're the yeah. judge of funny. <laughs> Chris, did you watch Tread? Sorry, not get dark. Which one? Which one? Tread? It's a doc. It's a short documentary. It's about Marv Hemeyer. True story. Book four, he lost a land dispute in a town in Colorado. So he bought a Komatsu tractor, armor, you know, armor plated it, and then went on a rampage. Yeah, the killdozer. Yeah, the killdozer. Yeah. It's pretty good. Is that it on Netflix? It, it, yeah, it's, yeah, it's on Netflix. It got buried because the very next day Ronald Reagan died. So it vanished from the Oh, Earth. that's an older one then, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Back to politics. It's interesting. <laughs> no, it is, but it is politics. That is politics. Well, he was pissed off at the town. The town had an establishment, and he bulldozed the establishment. Yeah, I could yeah. see. I could. I could. I like, uh, like, like they like to say on social media, it me. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I, can, I, can, I can i can feel for the guy now did you watch last night or did you just get you know the afterwards clip? actually i watched at least half of it i had okay. it on while i was working on the briefing i <laughs> couldn't do it for the i i probably should have done a little more with the dnc last week but you know everybody at town hall is writing so much and all the live blogs and everything i really don't need to watch it yeah. You know, I just go back over. I, you know, I check out PJ's live blog. I check out Town Hall's live blog. And then, you know, all of the sites are doing two or three good postmortem pieces every night. So I've got that. To, I've got that to go on. But I did 
so I didn't know Herschel Walker was scheduled to speak speak last night because the the lineup I got yesterday didn't have him on there. And so I missed that. I didn't know about it until everybody was tweeting about it when it was over. My mom even called me to tell me how much she liked that speech. Yeah, that was a really good one. Kimberly Klasik was good. I wish she had spoken a little bit later in the evening when there was more viewers. Yeah, Klasik was good. Um, Klasik was really good. You mentioned I wish she'd spoken later in the week, too. Yeah, yeah. McCluskey's um, were good, um, which, you know, uh, there was a lot of uh, mockery going on online about that, but it, I think it reaches exactly who we need to on the law and order angle. What do you think about yeah. that? Well, I uh, again, I'm, I'm quoting our friend and colleague, Kira Davis, because she is a good friend of mine, and I love the way she thinks. Here's she wrote a thing point. yesterday on Red State wondering if – the, the speaker lineup, and she was specifically talking about the McCloskeys at first, when, weathering, wondering whether the speaker lineup was cheesy or brilliant. Mm-hmm. And she came to the conclusion that it was brilliant. And she said, you know, and it what I felt the same way when I first read the lineup. I'm going like, oh, because mm-hmm. the re, one of the reasons I was so impressed with that speech that they wrote for them that I mentioned is because that had the potential to be awful. OK, and I think we all knew that in our stomachs. <laughs> <laughs> we were all thinking like, oh, if it's going to go off the rails, here's the first place it's going off the rails. And it wasn't. It was wonderful. And so I think I, I think it really needs to energize because the enthusiasm is what Trump has going for him, his big advantage right now. And if we can ramp up the enthusiasm more, um, I, I'm not that worried about reaching out to the disaffected voters right now. I think it probably will, the law and order angle. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the press knows that because I was watching the ABC News coverage of it to see how they would spin it. And I sh- you not. This is the cutaway. They start comparing this to Nixon's law and order run in 68. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> and uh, they were, you know, and that was effective for him. Big win for right. big win for Nixon. But they started talking about the civil unrest then versus the civil un- unrest now and the ABC flack who was talking about it said, it said, but I think the overwhelming difference here is that this black lives matter, black matters movement is, is far more thoughtful than the unrest in the sixties. I'm like, I'm out. Oh my God. God. I got it. This is, this is why you got to make a TV that has a groin on it. So you can kick it when somebody says something like that. Well, they had Clinton, you know, Stephanopoulos up there making excuses for everything. And it's not as ABC, I think had the most slanted liberal bias last night. I mean, MSNBC and CNN, typical, you know, it's no, expected. They do as have far, some bad people. As far they as had, the, they had, they had Christie on there for balance. Chris Christie was on for balance, and he was swinging for the home team. Uh-huh. Um, but, the, but the liberals were really bad. You know what? When Tim Scott got done, though, George Stephanopoulos could not contain himself. He loved that speech, and he was quite open about it the second it was done. He didn't have a chance to censor himself. Yeah, <laughs> they just mean some. They just say what they mean sometimes instead of putting on the party line. Yeah, and he was talking about what a wonderful speech it was. Well, I also think you know, going back to the McCloskeys real quick, something that's being discounted in this election is the huge effect that first-time gun owners are going to have on this election. I mean, that number's bigger than uh, we're, we're talking between five and ten million new gun yeah. owners in this yeah. country, and and gun owners vote overwhelmingly Republican. So. I think that's going to have a big effect, especially in swing states where you're talking about ten to 50,000 votes being the entire election. Our Another friend and colleague of ours, Cam Edwards, has been writing about that over at Bearing Arms a lot about, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. pondering what effect this will have on the election. Because the numbers are – and you know what? You look at the way the numbers have been going up just in the last two months. We've got another two, two months of that left, you know, right. for more people to keep buying guns. And I know – I've never known this many first-time gun owners in my life personally. Okay. Yep, um, same. And people are like, you'll never believe what I did today. You can't find guns and ammo. I mean, um, you, you can't. Well, here in the Wild West, you can. Um, that's one of the reasons I live over here in my desert hinterland. So, I just go down to my Ace Hardware yeah, to pick up some I, I do. I get my ammo at Ace Hardware. And I call them up and I go, hey, dude, you got a 40 cal? And I'll put aside a box for you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> welcome to the actual Wild West. Um, I, wish, I wish it was like that here. But you have the the clear difference between Joe Biden, who's hiding in his basement, and Trump, who's out there, you know, doing events, speaking to people. He was just at like a food bank yesterday in North Carolina. He went down there for the roll call. You know, how long are people going to put up with Biden's basement bullshit? Well, this is and this is not by any means an original thought of mine. I just I think I was saying this before anybody else was. 
This is the entire reason that they're leg humping early voting and vote by mail, because they want to get as many early votes in as they can before they're forced at the last moment to trot Biden out in public. Because yeah. they know once they get him out in public, it's a show. The media gushing and fawning notwithstanding, that speech of his last week, it looked when we were doing that, uh, the War for the White House podcast, you notice how good I've gotten at cross-promoting since I took over the briefing? Yeah, you're becoming- Do you guys more, notice how seamlessly yeah, yeah. I flow into pimping one town hall media thing after another here? You're becoming slicker on that front. It's great. Yeah. It's, it's so, so Ellie pointed this out last week, town hall columnist Ellie Buffett. She said, she said he, it seemed like a tired stump speech, his, his acceptance speech last week. It yeah. did. It, it, it looked like a speech he'd given 15,000 times and he'd been on the road for six months. So you can imagine what he's going to be like when he actually has to go on the road for a few weeks. So I think that's the whole reason they're going for the early voting angle, because nothing is in their favor. I mean, look at this campaign. If he has to stay in and Kamala's the face of the campaign, you know, she's she wears on the public, you know, like psoriasis. She's not <laughs> nobody. That, that's the whole reason she was the first top tier person out, because she, much like Hillary Clinton, is one of these candidates that everybody likes less once they're exposed to them more. Yeah, maybe that's why she got that facelift back a few weeks ago. Um, <laughs> oh, <laughs> that, that yeah, was bad true. work. That Listen, bad. It looked terrible. Just bad. saying. Just <laughs> I almost thought I almost thought that she had died and she would replaced by body double like Joe Biden. <laughs> I'm not ruling that out, Matt. Not right? I'm not nuts. I am not nuts. Biden's dead. He's been dead for months. In it's 2020. Biden. It's 2020. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't rule out Dems as pod people running right now at all. Um, <laughs> it reminds me. Of and they Seinfeld let it slip. Episode. They let it slip. He hasn't been. They have, what they've got the way they've got the jumping worms now. Did I put that link in the, in the briefing last the, this morning? I think, yeah, they've got the, the, mur the murder hornets jumping worms are here now. Spiders don't bother me. The murder hornets. I don't want to see a worm that I'm used to keeping in its place on the ground jumping at me. Now, yeah, nobody right. needs that. <laughs> it's interesting you bring up the Biden speech, though, because afterwards people went back and did a comparison. And it appears that he lifted not only the ending from a Canadian politician, but more than like half of his 2008 DNC speech was reflected in the one that he gave this uh, last week. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, I did. That was um, Monday morning's briefing was titled uh, Joe Biden never met a speech he couldn't play, plagiarize. And, yeah, uh, that was a good um, and, and the, my main point on that was, you know, that says a lot about a guy who's running solely on character. Mm -hmm. You know, he's out there telling you he's the better man. And, and this and this plagiarism thing with his now, I know he's not writing his speeches anymore, but at the very <laughs> least, you know, if he were coherent at all, he might be able to like go over and go, oh, no, maybe not this. And his speechwriter should be a little more vigilant given his past. But that's a, you know, this plagiarism thing with him is almost pathological. And it wasn't just the speech. It was, Katie pointed out on night one of the D or night or night four of the DNC that Biden's whole approach to dealing with coronavirus is Trump's approach. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and then the Wall Street Journal concurred with her the next day. Um, yep. it's, it's, he just rips off every, I mean, he's ripped off Bernie's socialist agenda he's so that's and this guy's running on character he's running on character and being this benevolent uncle bull thing you know and your best friend and he's he's a hot-headed right <laughs> and the, the press is repackaging him as santa claus now yeah it's, it's such bull i mean who has hairy legs when he was out on the campaign trail he was getting in arguments basically daily with people. Yeah. You know, look fat and all that stuff. You're like, full of shit, man. Yeah. The, the, was, yeah. It, uh, was it the, was the worker in Michigan? The Detroit yeah, auto Detroit, worker yeah. who brought up the Second Amendment. Yeah. You know, this guy, if they take him out of the basement, I, I think you're 100% right about the whole mail-in thing. Yeah. You know, they're just trying to get through like mid-September when all the ballots become available. Hope that people vote in the two weeks before the debate and, you know, pray to God it works. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it might. That's why I hate early. I, I, one of the, this is one of those things that has dismayed me over the years when I travel about, because I've been a conservative activist since long before either of you were born, and yeah, um, <laughs> or maybe not long, but well, definitely me. Maybe not Matt. <laughs> well, I worked on I worked on my first campaign in 1984. 
That's before Matt was born, yeah. for sure. Yeah, <laughs> it's 10 yeah. years before I was born. So, <laughs> yeah. So, and I, so I've been at this for a very, very long time. Ooh, One of the things that frustrates totally. me is, is when conservatives or purported conservatives or purported Republicans are jumping on board with they shouldn't be jumping on board with, like tax refund checks. No conservative on earth should be one, getting a tax refund check, two, excited about getting a tax refund check. Mm-hmm. I just, I just want to shake them like they're a baby and I'm a British nanny. And, you know, but the other thing is conservatives who are excited about early voting. I was, I was doing a thing in Virginia, a speaking tour with Tony Katz about a month and a half before the election or a month before in 2012. And they were doing early voting in Virginia, ungodly early voting, if I remember. Um, Early here. And, and there were all these Republicans all just thrilled to be doing it. I said, no, early voting is the biggest it's not a fraud scam, but it's like we said, it's if you've got a flawed candidate, you can just rush in a bunch of early before that candidate implodes in front of everybody. And that's why I've never liked it. It, it eliminates 11th hour surprises. And I get really frustrated when I see conservatives on board with that. I, I hate early voting. Get rid of that. I'm OK with a national holiday for Election Day. And the only people who should be doing absentee ballots are military and people expatriated overseas for work reasons. Mm-hmm. And that's it. You, you, there's no, I mean, if you absolutely, I was on the road almost solidly for almost 35 years, a little over 30 years, never missed an election, even primaries. If it's a priority, you make it happen. Yep. So I, you know, I don't care about people who travel for a living. Oh, well, you know, make sure you're home that Tuesday. It's not hard to do. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I also say let's bring back the poll tax too. We should bring that back. <laughs> well, and you know, stockades in the public square, but that's only if I'm elected. <laughs> that's only if I'm elected. And then the first people going in that all work for the mainstream media. <laughs> <laughs> so something that's becoming, a, I think, a clear focus point on this election is the black vote. What What do you think? I mean, I, I really do think that Trump's going to get a significantly higher share of the black vote than anybody anticipates. Do you do you feel the same way? What do you think to how that's going to play out? Well, the uh, a lot of the unrest that we've seen so far disproportionately affects black people, uh-huh. um, even though it's a Black Lives Matter movement. There have been a couple of things out just in the last couple of weeks, uh, studies on that. I don't think while picking Kamala Harris for the ticket was a, just a blatant attempt at, you know, covering over Biden's flaws with the black electorate. I don't think she's that person. I don't think she does that automatically. Like, mm-hmm. you know, given the fact that she also put a lot of black people in jail. I mean, and that's something that, the, that they are really hammering on. In fact, I think the campaign is going to start focusing on that a little more. I hope they do because that is where, that's the ticking time bomb over there because that's why the progressives hate her. And, you know, we, we, I think we all remember that when she first launched her campaign, the New York times op-ed page immediately published a hit piece about her days as a prosecutor and an attorney general, the New York freaking times, they, they hit her up with that. So I don't think that she's this whole, you know, automatic. And this is, this goes back to, taking the black vote for granted, which is what the Democrats do. They figured out, oh, now we have a black female. We're going to get the black vote. That I'm sure that was the entire thought process there. Nothing beyond that. Absolutely. I mean, they're all gutted by that identity politics and the bean counting stuff with race and everything. So, absolutely, yeah, I agree with that, too. Yeah. But you did nothing. I mean, and I love how, like, she's had, like, like you know, Storm talked about her facelift, the media facelift, how she was, like, this, somehow this top-notch, like, unbeatable candidate. Yeah. Andrew Yang and Tom Steyer had more staying power than her. So yeah, she didn't even make it it. Christmas. Yeah, she bolted. She bolted. She was solid top tier from the beginning, went even higher top tier, ironically, by calling Joe Biden a racist. (laughs) Uh, And and then she fell so quickly. I went back and looked at the stuff I was writing last year about this. So it was late June, early July when she peaked at the in the first couple of debates by the end of August and early September, the big money Democrats had already fled her completely. I was writing about that then, the beginning of the end of her campaign. And she yeah. limped along until December, but then didn't even make it to New Year's Day. She was out. So she went from being top tier in July to already free fall by the end of August, early September. 
That's yeah. that's how bad she is. Well, and the fact true. that that didn't come up with any of them, <laughs> I, I just well, he painted himself into such a corner. He really wanted Gretchen Whitmer there, even after all of her disastrous handling of the coronavirus. He really wanted Gretchen Whitmer, but he got himself into a court. He didn't promise that he would pick a woman of color, but once the Black Lives Matter thing started, everybody else kind of wink, wink, nudge, nudge. That's where you have to go. So yeah. he was stuck there. I mean, if Gretchen Whitmer had been a lesbian in a wheelchair, maybe then you got enough <laughs> diversity boxes checked off. <laughs> and they could have overcome that, but um, she wasn't. Yeah, it, yeah. He really, I, he really did box himself in on that one, and I, I, I just don't know how. Like, I don't think Kamala helps no, because, doesn't. oh yeah, we were really concerned about California, right? Yeah. And it seems to me like a lot of black people don't really like her. Well, they didn't like her to begin with. No, I they know. found her in offense. That's why part of the reasons why her campaign, her twenty twenty one was kind of a disaster. So, I mean, she had no message, no organization. She just no one thought she was authentic, and you saw that in her. And I, well, I, I see that in her speeches. So. Yeah, and you also have the angle of she was a cop, right? Yeah, with the movement on the left yeah. for defund the police she's, and all this uh, lawlessness. She's Rosie Perez in uh, Pineapple Express. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she was the. Chief law enforcement officer for the most populous state in the union. So she was like, she wasn't just a cop. She was super cop. Okay. And, um, and not to mention, she, she barely won that race. I went back and looked at that. I was shocked with how close the margin was with a Republican in California. Yeah. I'm, and the only reason the Republicans can't win that seat is because the Republican Party in California is a joke. Um, yeah. But, and the, this is a thing I feel necessary to point out to people all the time about Harris and, you know, the, the fact that she's been successful in California, was the AG and is now the junior senator in California. And for and anybody new to me, which is weird if you haven't heard of me, but um, <laughs> if anybody new to me, I lived in California for 25 years out of my adult life. So yeah. I know once I speak in California, when you're a Democrat, you don't have to be a good retail politician to get elected. You just have to meet the right money people on the way up. And yeah. Once you know the money people and once you've got them locked in, you're going to win because California is so overwhelmingly blue now. The state, the up, the upper echelon races where money really comes into play, you're going to win. And Kamala Harris never really had to be a good campaigner because she had just boatloads of cash behind her. And she's not a good campaigner. She's an off-putting. And, you know, people are going to say this is sexist. This is this. This is whatever. No, she was my attorney general. Then she was my senator. So, you know, I'm not just yelling into the void here she's an off-putting person and she yeah. brings but here's the, the thing though the box he painted himself into is a is actually there's a larger box that the democrats have painted themselves into you know the the general thing is you pick a vice presidential uh, you you pick a number two for the ticket who's going to bring you part of the electorate that you're not getting on your own automatically right yeah. the dems are such a coastal marginalized party now there wasn't a lot in middle America that they could go pluck from the bench. That was the yeah. problem here. You had mayor Pete who was, I, I think would have been a complete disaster on the ticket because his, his national campaign status is not that great yet. Mm -hmm. You had Whitmer uh, since Minnesota might be in play this year. Um, if you picked anybody from that general part of the country, you were going to be okay. So, I, think, you know, I think if we would have picked Klobuchar, it would have made a big difference. I, I thought that that would have been the most logical pick because yeah. then she would have been like a, the best regional pick for him. Mm -hmm. But they don't have a lot. They don't have a bench in the middle of the country because, you know, they've proudly marginalized themselves. They're a coastal elite party. Right. I was about to say they spit in the face of normal Americans. Yeah. Yeah. And those normal Americans are going to vote right now. And those normal Americans... Getting back to the black vote, I think the I think the black vote, you know, and this is like presumptuous of me as an older middle class white guy. <laughs> um, but I'm I'm not speaking for black people. I'm saying that this is my opinion as a veteran political observer. Mm -hmm. You've seen, I think you've seen more celebrity black voices than ever in this election saying we're tired of you taking us for granted. Yep. And since the Democrats put so much. You stock in the celeb opinion. I mean, you got Ice Cube coming out and saying, yeah, no. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Ice Cube, Ice Cube, the gangster rapper and the beloved, the lovable Disney dad. Um, so he's, yeah. you know, he reaches a lot of people, but you've seen a lot of that over and over lately. And I, 
I just think that's that, you know, that's an unknown, but could be a game changer because that was the game changer in 2012. It was an increase in the black turnout that won for Barack Obama in 2012, right. even it's so much stacked against him. So it'll be interesting to play. I mean, this is going to be the most interesting presidential election ever. And if Biden wins, we're and I'm sorry you guys are young and are going to have to live longer in that bullshit than I am. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's really absolutely the most important election of our life. And you have it's really it's really a difference between a stay of execution against the left for four more years or if they come in and take over. We're just so fucked, like you said, it's, it's it's honestly pretty scary. Well, if Biden wins, they're going to get the Senate. Yeah, I yes. agree. And then they've got you know, they've got all of Washington then. And they already I don't think they're, 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 they're going to get the Senate with enough to do anything with. Well, they, they already pledged to end the filibuster. Yeah, so. that's, that's going away. So here comes Green New Deal and all. Uh, well, I don't know if they're going to be able to get rid of that even. I think some of them might, you know, start thinking like, oh, remember the last time we did something and then the Republicans <laughs> yeah. have power yeah. again? You know, oh. they might, a few of them might, but I think if they win maybe the like, Senate, they, like they've got maybe a one, one vote majority. I mean, it's not going to be like, they're going to be the swinging over there. You know, it's, yeah. it's, they're, they're, they're not going to have that much to do with. And I think it might be my home state that tips that if it happens. I, yeah, you know, I, you bring that up because I actually wanted to talk about Arizona being a significant battleground in this. I mean, like it always is, but some interesting data coming out of there with Trump looking in pretty decent shape. Uh, McSally, not so much because she's a horrible campaigner. But what, what do you think is going on down there? I talked to, uh, this will be up on PJ later today, actually, the newest podcast of mine. I talked to our friend John Gabriel from Ricochet yesterday, who's been hip deep in Arizona Republican politics here forever. And uh, he and I were, you know, he he did the best postmortem of Sally's 2018 campaign that I've ever seen, specifically mm -hmm. breaking down why she's not a good candidate. And a lot of it is the military thing. You go back. There's a history of mil of high-ranking military officers going into politics and not doing well because they're used to just telling people what to do and then it happens. And you get into politics and that's not how it works. So you got a colonel sitting here now wondering why you know the lower ranks aren't doing everything that she tells them to do. Plus this is a very rural state for the most part and it's a pain in the ass to campaign for Senate in and you know that's gotten even weirder during the whole coronavirus thing. But I, the polls have been tightening here a little bit. I think what's really killing us right now, the NRA had, was a little more solvent right now. Yeah. <laughs> and its political wing could spend some more money attacking Mark Kelly. Because this is still, like you know, I alluded to at the beginning, this is still gun heaven here in Arizona. And now you've got, you've got this carpetbagging gun grabber running for Senate. And I don't know how that's going to play in the end because Arizona is not one of those states where it's just, you know, the right wing nut jobs like me owning guns. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, Schlichter and I were talking about this last year and he said, well, you know, if it ever spills into the street, we'll have all the guns. I said, not here. Yeah. <laughs> Every liberal friend I have here is loaded up, ready to go. Um, so I, I just, I really wish that there was some more, you know, pro gun pro second amendment money that could be thrown at attack ads on Mark Kelly right now. Um, and I think that would help a lot. It is tightening. I keep reaching out to her campaign going, trying to goose it in a certain direction, but they're, they seem to be almost as pure as imperious as she is, which is going to be a problem. Well, uh, God. well, they hired the same failed campaign staff from last time. I'm which like, happens in politics all the time, as you guys well know. Yeah. It's uh, that was a stupid move, but I, I think that that's an interesting race. What do you, what is your overall feel? Because uh, I know you talked about this on War for the White House last week. Um, what's your overall feel of this election right now? Where do you think we're at? For the Senate? Senate and uh, presidential, and maybe even House, too. Presidential, I would say, and I've been the most pessimistic of any of my conservative friends for the last three months. That's why I'm most interested in your take. <laughs> um, I I have slight little upticks of optimism right now. Uh, the Trump the the reconfigured Trump campaign in the last month has gotten a little more well oiled. Uh -huh. um, I like what they're doing now. I like the way they're hitting Biden. I do think 
they need a little more of a policy focus in this one than just attacking Biden personally. Mm-hmm. You could do that with Hillary because everybody hates Hillary. And right. Biden, for some reason, is still the cuddly grandpa to a lot of people. I mean, hit him on the hit him on the Sleepy Joe thing. Hit him on that. But um, so I'm more encouraged. I'm more encouraged by these things in the last month. I'm encouraged by the Trump campaign getting better at this. I'm encouraged by the focus I saw from night one of the RNC. I, I you know, hitting on the law and order. I really this may sound like cheap, but I really like the number of times I heard the word socialist last night. <laughs> uh, I'm glad that was a focus. The under, and I think I mentioned this on War for the White House last week, one of the things that encourages me a lot there at the mothership have been kicking ass for the last six months. You know, we've got people, traffic growing, people paying attention to us, summertime when there shouldn't have been traffic, you know, I and I think that that, you know, I that's not enough to swing an election, but I think it's a significant enough thing to look at and go, okay, maybe, maybe they are being ignored again this election cycle. That, so that uh, that actually encourages me a lot more than most things do. So I say right now we're in the point where Trump could Trump could lap him easily if he stays focused. Yeah, and I, I think the silent majority plays big into that. And it's actually a good point you bring up that we're seeing such large engagement. Uh, maybe that's an indicator that those sleepers are actually out there and like more that. numerous than uh, – yeah, that was one of the yeah. term my friend gave yeah, me. Yeah, he yeah, called the them the sleepers. The sleepers. You know, maybe maybe they are more numerous than last time. And, and something that get, keeps getting pointed out to me by other people, and this is one of those things we who are hip deep in politics talk about all the time, where you know everybody else isn't paying attention like we're paying attention. Right. And the people who have normal lives and we're enjoying them weren't paying attention for all summer long. Okay, they were plague plague or not, they were still enjoying their summers. You know, we're the only ones that are sitting here going, "Oh, I got to dig through the." again today okay (laughs) because that's work so this is traditionally and this i mean i've had this pointed out to me like 20 times and it's not sinking in yet this is traditionally the time when the people who aren't fully engaged in politics 24 7 start to pay attention yeah that's where the convention bounces come from the convention bounces are mostly i in my opinion has always been mostly people who were already on board but just weren't being vocal about it or talking about it or responding to polls yet so I think that's where that comes in. So there's that. So we're just moving into the time when there can be real movement in the polls because everybody starts paying attention. Yeah, and you think that I, – I think basically, like you said, the Senate goes with Trump uh, either direction. Uh, what do you think about our prospects of House? I don't think we're going to take that back right now. Yeah, it's a difficult lift for sure. I, I, and actually the best chance of us taking back the House is to lose everything this election and then – here we go, Tea Party 2.0, and we cruise into the midterms next time. Yeah, <laughs> and you were you were a Tea Party OG. I co-founded the Los Angeles Tea Party in February of 2009. Good times. <laughs> Thanks to uh, Obama and Obamacare for that one. Um, but yeah, but I don't want that to. I don't want us to lose everything. I'd rather. Exactly, and I I've been like super bipolar with my feelings on this election. Some days I feel great, even minute to minute it goes up and down. But right now for, you know, the past week with the DNC and the RNC here and, you know, some of these new polls coming out that are obviously still dem skewed. So if you unskew them, it looks really good for us. I got a great feeling right now. I don't, I don't know what it is, but I got a great feeling. I think you see Trump. He looks like he has his mojo back. You know, that, that trip that he took up to New Jersey that weekend where he had those press conferences and yeah. the crowds in there where the, you know, the media was like, this isn't socially distanced. And he's like, well, it's a f-ing protest. How about that? Yeah. You know, I, yeah. it looks, he's smiling again. It looks like he has his mojo back. It looks like he's feeling yesterday. It. You, you really want to drive the nuts? Say 12 more years. Yeah. Yeah. Like stuff like that. <laughs> oh, that was, that's my favorite troll where he talks about going for a third term because, yeah. because <laughs> they spied on his campaign. I like just the, the way he trolls them is so brilliant. It's, it's wonder. I just love it. And I do think he has his mojo back and I got to tell you, I was skeptical about him showing up on stage every night at the RNC. Now I think it's a brilliant move. Because it's it's like an energetic thing, you know. It's like, hey, I'm here. I'm not afraid to come out in front of everybody, like their guy is. It's implied, heavily implied there. But I'm like you, Storm. I'm back and forth all over the place. 
you, you know, we play this stupid game on our side where we hate the polls, we hate the polls, we hate the polls, but then the second they start to look a little better for us, we're like, ooh, the polls. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's, like, it's like this crack that we can't quit. I was just gonna say, it's like we're crackheads. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like, so it's, it's very strange right now moving into that. Uh, and I, you know, after 2016, what the hell? You know, you got Hillary cruising in and she was, what, a 95% favorite on election day? <laughs> So if, if there's, if anything, if we learn anything from that, there's absolutely no reason to get worried until it happens, you know? Right, right. So I'm not going to get an ulcer between now and then worrying about this. Um, and well, I don't worry about politics anymore. Anyway, I wrote a whole book about that and I'm writing a sequel to it for this election. But if you had asked me that question two weeks ago, I go, oh, we're toast. That would have yeah. been my whole answer. So now you get this convoluted ass covering that I just gave you for the last 10 minutes. <laughs> That's like the Italians, you know, when we yeah. give advice, you know, at the end we go, well, what do I know about it? Yeah. Just in case. <laughs> <laughs> but you have the, the riots and crime in these cities now becoming a top five campaign issue. I think that's going to play a huge role. The riots out in Wisconsin, you know, when I, when I saw that after the first night, I'm like, well, you just helped us win Wisconsin. Because people, I think, are just sick of the lawlessness and the overall, you know, reluctance by them politicians to say anything. They didn't condemn the violence once last week at the DNC. Not only didn't condemn it, they didn't get anywhere near it. Yeah. <laughs> they, they, were, they were like every rich white liberal in America. They stayed in their little gated community protected from all the violence. Um, but, no, I, I wrote... What in one of the first weeks of this round of civil unrest so that was May back in May when it's late May. Um, so in early June, I think I wrote it. This all starts to change and have an impact when it spills over and starts affecting the upper middle class white liberals. Yep. Um, and it started to do that. You've seen it in a lot of places. One, you know, these upper middle class white liberals have been fancying themselves more progressive, like the young kids for years now. And now, you know, now that it's getting to be on their lawns, they're going, oh, no, that, no, I didn't, no, I don't want that. And I think that the way this plays out in the short term, the long term, it's going to be they're going to vote with their feet and get the hell out and go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. That's largely what keeps up the electorate in Arizona is the California liberals are moving here and Illinois liberals are moving here. And then that's why our demographics are changing. Yep. But, you know, because they're idiots, they leave the place they're at, but they still vote Democrat. Yep. Um, so that's long term. Short term, I think what might happen, given the enthusiasm gap, is that these upper crust white liberals just stay home in this election. They're not going to go vote for Trump. I don't think I, some will. I think that this actually will convert some people. But yep. I think in, on a larger scale, a lot of them might just go, Ugh, you know, it's you know, it's rough to get off the couch for a candidate who you're voting for, for a negative reason anyway, you know, oh, he's not him. That's not a big driver to the polls, but this could make a lot of those upper class white liberals just go, it, I'm staying home today. Yeah. It, well, it's interesting you brought that up because I was just reading uh, about this last night, you know, Biden's pitch is, well, I'm not Trump, you know, the whole anti-Trump angle and a return to normalcy. But the last election was all about blowing up that normalcy. And blowing up the establishments, I don't see how that is a winning argument. He has no winning argument because he's he's not the guy he says he is. There's nothing genuine there at all. And it's one of the greatest things about Trump, warts and all, whether you liked him or not, whether you voted for him in 2016 or not. Trump's Trump's no filter thing that causes so much dismay with everyone, I think, is a net positive because, you know, there's not a, there's no artifice there. Right. He's, he's I mean, you know, he was a political unknown in 2016 because he hadn't held office. Mm -hmm. And now, yeah. you know, like all of us conservatives are going like, holy, shit, that was cool. We didn't expect this at all. Um, right. Right. The, un the unfiltered angle, I think, actually helps us significantly because yeah. it's real to people that I've heard that from so many people that are like, wow, how great is it just to not have like a fake president, a phony politician who, you know, behind closed doors is like an average person. But they put on this facade because, you know, just for the public view. And there is virtually nothing about this benevolent Grandpa Joe Biden plushie toy that they're presenting to the public right now that jibes with the real Joe Biden. 
It, yeah. This is a wholly manufactured character that they're putting out there. And many people on, uh, on many of our sites and others have written about, you know, this whole Biden's a nice, empathetic guy. No, he's a cult. And a lot of our people have documented that already. Um, in fact, I was going to go write a column about it a couple of days ago. And I looked at how many of our writers had already done it. I mean, oh, yeah, never mind. Yeah, um, the empathy charade. Yeah. So I'm going to do one today. This is the one that I think is really important, too. I've got a column that I'm just starting. And I think you you might have seen it on Twitter this weekend. He was talking about I'm going to heal and unite. And I said, and I said, so I just ignore all the years you've been calling me a racist. <laughs> like, yeah, and he says you're going to put you all back in chains. Like, yeah. So I'm going to so I'm going to write about that today. I think the, the, the title of it is Biden Biden 2020. All Republicans are racist. Now let's unite. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and and so none of none of what he's running on is real. I mean, it's real to them because they believe the press. But the people that they this whole, you know, you're, I mean, it's laughable. We know that no, that Jeff Flake isn't moving any hearts and minds on the GOP side of things. OK, Jeff yeah. Flake is out of office because every Republican here in Arizona hates him. OK, <laughs> that's why that's why he got that's why he had to bail on his reelection bid more than a year in advance. The polling yeah. was bad. A year in advance. Yep, and interesting you bring that up because Matt wrote a great uh, VIP column about that today on Town Hall. The you know the GOP for Biden hoax and the never Trumpers who are trying to like make this out to be you know some big deal. You know you had all those national security officials that wrote that column in the paper or ran an ad or whatever, and you have these this list of twenty geo you know ex GOP lobbyists who are endorsing Biden. I'm like, that's the definition of the swamp. That's what people voted to remove. And also people have been like out of the game for like years, like Christine Todd Whitman. Yeah. Who the fuck was her? yeah. I mean, she was governor of Jersey in the nineties. Yeah. No one fucking remembers her. Well, yeah. the, the, um, I'm sorry. I didn't mention that Matt, but I haven't read anything online yet today. Cause you guys know, I just woke up right before we started recording. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not like I'm a party guy. It's just my gig here at the town hall mothership is a middle of the night gig. So I go to bed later than everybody else, but I got to tell you that extra hour or two storm whoo, that helped. <laughs> nice. I'm glad. <laughs> I, I hope it helps with traffic too, but I, but yeah, there's so much of that. First of all, every one of these Republicans who's not voting for Trump are the same Republicans who didn't vote for him the last time. No change. There's nothing. It's not like they were moved by anything. For sake, Colin Powell voted for Barack Obama. Okay, right. so yeah. can we stop with the Colin Powell thing already? But the first night of the first <laughs> night of the DNC, I think I wrote in the briefing the next day. I said they're trotting out these Republicans who no Republican under the age of fifty knows. Yep, none. And even guys my age, you know, you got to dig. Susan Molinari, I only knew because I've been in politics for a long time. Right. Susan Molinari's last big star turn in the GOP happened at the 1996 convention. Okay. Um, <laughs> if you want to know how far they're trying to dig people up. Christine Todd Whitman, nobody remembers. Most young people barely remember Colin Powell. And the only one any one of them knew was Kasich because of the last election. So yeah, this every one of these Republicans are just the same Republicans, but they're trying to imply that, you know, it was something in the last three and a half years that changed their minds. So they're like, oh, stop. Yeah. And, and they're trying to imply that there's this massive shift from Trump to Biden. Yeah, it's not, where not I haven't seen that. Uh, and if anything, it's the opposite, where people yes. are coming over to Trump. Yeah, nobody, they're, the biggest move in this electorate are people and I'll be honest, I've been honest with everyone. I didn't vote for him in 2016 because I didn't know how conservative he would be. Mm -hmm. I said, I said, the GOP is failing me. I don't know how conservative this guy is going to be. I got to vote for somebody I like, somebody I know. And I still defend this vote. I voted for Gary Johnson because I knew Gary Johnson. And Gary Johnson politically is not the guy that he is on camera. Um, yeah. <laughs> Gary Johnson is a savage tax cutting machine politically. And he said, I said, one of these candidates has to say something that I like, just one, not Hillary. I'm not going to vote for her in any right. universe. Yeah. But I said one of the one of the, one of the libertarian or Republican candidates, and I was a big Cruz guy in 2016, like a lot of us were, and and so Johnson in one interview said taxes are like death to me, and I said okay, I'm done. I got my guy this year. <laughs> <laughs> so I voted for him almost immediately in February of 2017. I was working for another site, which I hate. And if they still had an office, I would go back to Alexandria and pee on it. And, <laughs> but they don't they don't have an office because they defaulted on their 
Hey, yeah, uh, <laughs> so, um, but I was, I was back there for CPAC and Trump had been in office for two weeks then, um, three weeks. And I went up to New York to do what I didn't know was going to be my last episode of Red Eye on Fox News. And um, Shalou was asking about the press and Trump. And I said, you know what? I didn't vote for him, but we're only a few weeks in. And I swear to God, every day the media jumps in this big earth mover, gets in it and starts pushing me towards Trump. Yep. That was three weeks in. I said that. And it was like that ever since. And, and within no time, I was on board. So the yep. biggest movement in the in the electorate, I think, are people are Republicans like me who probably voted libertarian or didn't vote last time, who are voting for Trump enthusiastically this time. Not just like, oh, well, he's my no, we're like, I'm I'm like, I'm one day away from getting a CAGA tramp stamp right now. <laughs> 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 Kaga, is that going to be tr the third term uh motto keep america great again <laughs> Kaga, yeah that didn't wow. look like finnish or something or some one of those scandinavian languages i'm a polack i don't like to see two vowels in a row ever and, and it drives me nuts my real last name you got to go like five letters in before you get to the first vowel yeah um, i still don't know how to spell that <laughs> But um, you have his conservative record, obviously, but I think a, a driving force also for these people who are kind of in between is going to be Trump really is the only thing standing between us and socialism, like you mentioned earlier in the, in the show. Yeah, I don't think there's there's any there's no walking that cat back once it happens. Um, right, right. Uh, That's what I'm trying to explain to someone this morning. <laughs> yeah, because what happens then is then. Even the people on our side, the GOP politicians are going to go, oh, well, we can get fat, richer and happier on this now. And, you know, let let them eat. It's going to be a full let them eat cake thing. And it's going to be it's going to be really that that's that's a tough one to stuff back into the bag without armed revolution. So, again, buy guns and ammo. Um, Always, as Colonel Schlichter says, that's, that's what you need to do. I got a good I got a good supply locked in. And, you know, here's another thing, you guys. Can I? Do a helpful hint. The reason nobody can buy ammo is because everyone on the planet has a nine millimeter. There are other calibers of handguns. Okay. Yep. yep. I use 40. That's my. Yeah. Favorite. I've got a 40 cal so I can go get ammo right now. Stop buying nine millimeters. That's why you can't find any nine millimeter ammunition ammunition out there. Okay. Go get okay. something else. Get a 38 revolver and go old west on everybody. Get two of them. <laughs> yeah. I, I got a couple uh, 380 uh, pocket pistols too, just in case. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. So yeah, be, go. That's that's one of my pro tips out there. And I got a shotgun just because I like the big boom effect of that too. Um, of course, and, and you know, racking it is just sound enough to scare the piss. Mine's out not of a pump. Mine's an old. Mine's a really old Winchester that's absolutely gorgeous because I have a shotgun fetish. Oh no! Nice. But this thing, this thing, <laughs> it's it's no. I want to get. I'm going to get a pump shotgun. I'm going to get a tactical shotgun because I like those better than I like ARs. Actually, I have. I yeah, really I have it. I have an I grew up in a mountain town where we were bird hunting and all. I I was always shooting shotguns, but. Um, this one is so freaking heavy that I would do more damage hitting a guy upside the head with this <laughs> than shooting him. <laughs> this is the heaviest freaking shotgun I've ever picked up. It's this long, like 50-year-old Winchester single-shot 12-gauge. Nice. Uh, yeah, it's never a wrong thing to say is buy guns and buy ammo. That's, a, that's the ultimate insurance policy. Before we wrap up the show, I wanted to get your take real quick on the uh, – USPS conspiracy, because this is a, I mean, they talk about QAnon. I'm like, are you kidding me, guys? Yeah, I mean, it was funny that they coincided in the news cycle with the Dems jumping all over yeah. Trump about QAnon while every upper echelon elected Democratic official in America was actively pushing a conspiracy theory about Trump trying to defund the post office. And this is what happened. This is, we get to the root of this. The root of everything and can be boiled down into the mainstream media is evil and public sector unions are evil. It's almost everything wrong in America can be boiled down to that right now. And even and some of the bigger private sector unions are evil. Not all. I'm an entertainer. I've been both SAG and after us. So I've been in two unions. So kiss my ass. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but 
what the unions have been doing throughout this entire crisis is using negotiations to keep them afloat, the teachers unions especially, and the USPS, to, the, use, using the negotiations um, to, 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 to held hostage to get more money. That, that's what they're doing. They're, they've been trying to milk more money than they deserve, and they're trying to use the crisis to justify that. And that's what the USPS is doing. And all the Trump administration was said, did was say, that noise. And then all of a sudden he wants to defund the USPS. He wants to like, you know, and that's So it's just, it's absolute crap. And there is no person on earth. I mean, I have a wonderful letter carrier in this neighborhood now. Great guy. Never screws anything up. The kind of guy I'm going old school and giving stuff to for Christmas, you know, of course. but when I lived in LA, it was a show for the last six years I was there. You, I was getting other people's mail all the time. You never, you never knew. So nobody trusts the USPS enough to really handle this election well. I mean, I yeah. think my favorite thing is somebody said, okay, if you believe in the post office so much, put $5,000 cash in an envelope and mail it to yourself. Yeah, that was Larry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was Larry's thing? I love that. Yeah. I was like, okay, do that. Yeah, exactly. And you have that tied into the QAnon. And, and they have the gall to say this after three and a half plus years of the Russia collusion conspiracy hoax. And that gets to part one of the root of all evil it's the mainstream media right there. Yep. that's how that the mainstream media created that out of whole cloth perpetuated it still perpetuates it even though it's been proven wrong time and again and and the mainstream media and and the way they spin things right now i mean if joe biden wins this election it will be an entire media creation oh yeah um, it won't. Be, it won't because it'll be Biden the plushy toy. I'm glad I came up with that. I might start using it. It'll be Biden the plushy toy who wins, not you know he's you know he's my little pony now. And, <laughs> and I got to work that in somehow too. I, I got to keep coming up with new because you know there's so many there's so you know it's like Schlichter's got the whole finger bang market on uh, nicknames for Biden. Yeah, Grandpa bad finger. It's always some some kind of finger thing over there, and I'm like, okay, we'll let we'll let Kurt have that. I actually got a thing yesterday, private, from one of our colleagues. I won't mention here, but it was a Schlichter tweet, and I was asked what it meant, and because this, this colleague of ours said I'm not really up on the Twitter lingo, and I said, oh, that's Schlichter lingo, and I don't even know what the hell it means. <laughs> I really don't know what he's going for there, but so he's got that, and then I've had I've had what I for years I've been calling him Crazy Joe the Wonder Beep. And then at the beginning of this of the primaries, I started calling him Der Biden Gaffer. Um, <laughs> and then I, last week I started calling him Grandpa Gropes. And but I like to keep him fresh, so I got to work this My Little Pony. Grandpa Gropes, I like that. That's a yeah, Grandpa one. Gropes is efficient. I, I yeah. so I've been calling him that too. But you know, if I'm going to keep writing about him every day, you got to have a nice rotation of digs. Yeah. Well, you some guys, some you yeah. just give them some you just give them one one pejorative like hillary clinton is granny mouth jackets and <laughs> and nancy pelosi is granny box wine um, <laughs> and granny botox those those i used to call her the botox hag back in the day remember that clip i sent you storm yeah i was just about to bring that up is that you have a, a great segment of your stand-up from i don't even know what year that was it must have been during the obama years right 10, ten years i think it was 2010 yeah, and it's just so relevant what you talked about with Biden. It's exactly what's going on now. I, I, I couldn't believe it. I felt like I was listening to a live show. Maybe I'll post that on the briefing because I don't think there are any F-bombs in that. I think you should. Even if it does have F-bombs, just put a little graphic language warning. I, I really – I was crying laughing. Because I also I also presaged social distancing in that. Remember I was talking about I don't want to yeah. hug because there's H1N1? Um, yeah, because that was swine flu time too, yeah. Yeah, I was like, oh, okay. did you show that to Matt? Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah he enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'll post that because it's. I have always thought that Biden was a flawed, loose cannon spaz. This is, I don't think it has anything to do with current cognitive decline, which I do also think is real. Yeah. But I've always thought, you know, there were when he was vice president and my Republican friends would say, oh, Biden's okay with me. He's just goofy. And I no. This guy's one heartbeat away from the presidency, and he's probably like one of my greatest tweets ever. Is I'm paraphrasing here, but it, it said, "At any point in the day, there's a very real chance that your vice president is wondering how he got his dick stuck in a Lego's Millennium Falcon." <laughs> <laughs> and that was ten years ago. <laughs> that, that was how I felt about Biden then. 
Um, still, I think it's one of my top three tweets ever. But, <laughs> but yeah, so I, it's, yeah, I might post that there. But yeah, I've got, you know, we're going to be writing about it a lot. And it's, it's, it's rough because for the last six months, we've only had like three stories to write about, you know? Yeah. yeah. Plague, death, riots. And now we got plague, death, riots, election. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be four stories for a while, which should help things a little bit. Uh, sports, maybe, because the MLB looks like it's going to be humming along for at least a little while longer. Yeah, yeah. And we got football maybe yep. coming back. We'll see. <laughs> I mean, the, the, that whole, you know, false positive test scandal, that makes me really think. <laughs> football is going to be weird. They haven't had any problems with, with the NCAA so far, the leagues that are playing. My league isn't playing because I'm a Pac-12 fan, so there go my tailgates next month. Um, yeah. But – I, I still think football becomes a problem because if one guy gets it, you know, it's not like baseball where everybody's standing a zillion yeah. feet apart. They're literally right. on top of each other then. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, that's what I was telling Matt. Yeah, well, it's contact. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's what I mean. Cruiser, when I was on your podcast, and it's like, like you said, all it takes is for like one, like, you know, the left tackle or the center to get it. And then the whole offensive line has to be quarantined. Yeah, and they don't. It's not like they have a viable entire backup offensive line. I mean, they got backups, but then you're. It's a completely different game. So. The league allows like you know hundred man rosters. Yeah, which would be absolutely insane. So I, I just, I'm, you know, I'm holding out. It, but it, I think Matt, you and I talked about this too. I don't give a shit because the no fans thing is really a turnoff for me. Yeah. Well, like, I'm, a, I, I'm a, I'm a Dodgers fan, and they're kicking all the ass there is to kick right now. Yeah. You know. And every time I watch the highlights, you know, I, I see the scores coming across on social media. Then I watch the highlights, and it's like, okay, Mookie just hit two home runs in a game, and it's the stupid cardboard cutouts. Yeah. Or, or, yeah. or those giant teddy bears. That's why I was telling Storm, you know what? You know what? Let's, if it means we can have fans in the stands, let's let's try Sputnik 5. Oh, the Russian vaccine. <laughs> yeah, the Russian vaccine. <laughs> yeah, maybe, it, maybe it'll work. It definitely loses luster without the fans, that's for sure. And I'm going to miss, uh, you know, tailgating Eagles games and going to them. But peaceful protest. Yeah, that's what I said. It should be a peaceful peaceful protest. protest at Giant Stadium for me. Yeah, I'm really going to. I mean, you know, it's a so it's it's, college football is such a social thing. It's you know, I'm a University of Arizona fan, and we're not here for the football. Obviously, Um, we're a basketball school. But I've had season tickets since I moved back here, and I have a blast every football season. Because we're getting together and we're tailgating all the time. Yeah, of course. And, you know, we're, it's finally not 100 million degrees here. And we're all just like, oh, we can go out in the sun and not die. And um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but and, and that's really that really that's the thing I'm missing this year. I mean, but the, the thing with the no fans, though, what happens is that every time I watch it, the no fans become so distracting to me that I can't keep watching. It's it's the thing that I keep paying attention to. So I haven't been able to watch an entire baseball game since like the first week because that no fans thing just really I, I'm a huge race fan and watching the Indy 500 with no fans the other day. I was like, oh, can't they get tighter shots on these cars? Yeah, right. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've been to, I've been to Indy a lot. I've been and Indy. The th- it's such a spectacle because you've got half a million people there. Yeah, that's that's, that's, that's the big thing right. about the Indy 500 is it's the largest one day live sporting event on earth. Yeah, and and crap. seeing it, seeing that without fans the other day, I was going like, ah, oh, this is it's depressing. It's I'm, okay, yeah, sports are back, but you know we're all sports fans, and you know the fan experience is an integral part of the entire freaking thing. Yep. Yeah. And uh, before we get to pimping our shit here, I just wanted to send our uh, thoughts and prayers to the great Patriots on the Gulf Coast with Hurricane Laura approaching. Uh, make sure to heed the warnings of your local officials. This looks like it could be. Pretty bad one, maybe cat three or so. Oh, wow. So uh, not looking too great there. Um, so why don't you uh, do your your pimping, Cruiser, and then I'll follow it up. My pimping, number one, the morning briefing, the greatest political newsletter in all of the land. Um, you should be subscribing to it. It's not a regular newsletter. It's very different. It's got all the elements of a regular newsletter, but more of them. I put in more links than any other newsletter out there, but then you get my smart assery at the top. <laughs> and then at the bottom, you always get a picture that's just something pretty to look at to take you pa- a palate cleanser, if you will. That's what the <laughs> last two parts of the morning briefing are for me. It's something pretty to look at. And then you get a, either a music or a comedy video at the end. And probably this weekend, I'll put, you know, sometime this week, I'll post that comedy video of mine because I'm but so, yeah. So the morning briefing and uh, PJ Media, 
read my columns. And uh, those of you who are listening, who are VIP subscribers, do a lot of VIP stuff and two podcast episodes a week. And we appreciate all of you. The Cruiser Cabana named aptly after our uh, party that we had, which was great. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. That that was like the last, you know, big thing that we got to do before uh, yeah. the coronavirus hit. Yeah. The very last fun thing in America was the Cruiser Cabana. <laughs> which, gonna be the by the way, before before you guys pimp, which, by the way, because we're probably not going to have like a regular CPAC next year unless they move it into the spring or, you know, whatever. But if we don't, I think that the town hall people alone, we should just get together and cruise and have us Cruiser Cabana back there for a couple I of agree. days. I yeah. agree. I'm definitely yeah. down for that. We, we don't need to bring the randos in from other sites. <laughs> classic <laughs> speaking of the other sites the new town hall media podcast war for the white house uh has episode four dropping today being hosted by uh, pj media's matt margolis hot air editor jazz shaw and twitchy editor sam so be sure to tune in available on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, spotify and townhall.com and on Friday, uh, me, Cruiser, and Vodka Pundit, Steve Green, will be hosting the next episode. Uh, that'll be fun for a wrap-up of uh, the RNC. Should be a good rest of the week. And, of course, we'll be back here on Thursday for another episode of Triggered. Give us your five-star ratings and reviews. Feel free to email us, triggered at townhall.com. And, of course, at TriggeredTHM on Twitter. Uh, thanks a lot for joining us, Cruiser. This was fun. Thank you. And when I said other sites, I meant non-town hall media sites. <laughs> I didn't mean <laughs> all of the town hall media people are invited. All of, all of the mothership, Twitchy, Bearing Arms, Red State, Hot Air, and us. But I mean, I mean, you know, the randos from the other sites. You know, but like oh, I, think, I know what you meant. I know what you meant. I, yeah, I, yeah, I think that I think that we can afford to be a little elite, elitist now. We put the effort in. We put the effort in. Well, and hopefully that'll be celebrating the second term of President Trump and keeping the Senate. So much winning, right? <laughs> yeah. And if it's not, then we're launching two point, Tea Party 2.0, like I said. So then we'll have – there's – you know, that's one last thing. The upside to being involved in writing about politics is that it's not always a bad gig when you're in the opposition. That's true. Yeah. That's true. The Obama years were uh, pretty good for us. <laughs> yeah. All righty. Well, yeah. Thanks again, Cruiser, Thanks, and uh, be sure to tune into War for the White House. Uh, me and Cruiser will be on there on Friday. That should be a lot of fun, too. Thank you, guys. This was a lot of fun. <laughs>